Today's acoustic alternatives, well, it looks a little different, doesn't it? We've done a few away from Grove Studios, the place that I started doing the podcast. Uh, every now and then, an opportunity presents itself to bring me to the home or homes of the artists that uh, either have more convenient spaces than Grove Studios, or maybe they play piano or something. But in this case, uh, Studio 2188 is yeah. uh, Ben Daniels' studio. And uh, today we're going to be speaking with Ben and his father, who you might know from such films as The Purple Rose of Cairo, Terms of Endearment, Pleasantville, Dumb and Dumber, perhaps my non-favorite musical thing he's done, the role of Will McAvoy in the newsroom, in which he gets to sing and play guitar in the finale, <laughs> or perhaps you know him as a stage actor. I didn't have the pleasure of seeing him on Broadway, but uh, you may not know he's been releasing music since 2004's Live and Unplugged. Today my guest is Jeff Daniels. Hello, Jeff. How are you, John? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. There's this new Audible project called Alive and Well Enough. And for me, it's because I'm familiar with your albums. It feels like the best way to introduce the songs with the full stories that lead up to the songs. Yeah, some of that is, is very true. I, I've been gigging since um, I think I went out on stage at the Purple Rose back in 2001. Up until then, I'd just been playing you know, guitar and writing songs on my back porch or my apartment in New York or something with real no intention of doing anything with them. Just it was an artistic kind of outlet that I did between phone calls of, you know, <laughs> acting jobs. And there were weeks and months of that. So uh, but I kind of got talked into this because the not even two years ago, my agent called and said, you know, you're the only actor without a podcast, you know. And I'm going, oh, and that's a problem? Why? And <laughs> Can't I just rest? <laughs> and I said, look, I'll try, um, but I'm only going to do it one way. I'm not going to, don't make me call up celebrities and say, can you do my podcast for me? And I'm not going to do that. I'll do a one-man something. Because I knew I had <clears throat> the stories that lead up to the songs when I do a gig at the Ark or wherever, you know, Purple Rose. You know, the story is 10 minutes of, and then the, it, it can be 10 to 15 minutes long, depending on how I'm, you know, the audience. I've seen you. So. Yeah, and and, I mean, and that comes from seeing people like Utah Phillips, Arlo Guthrie, Stevie Goodman, Prine, John Prine yeah. was like that, yeah. you know. Uh, but really kind of making it, can you hold an audience for 90 minutes sitting in a chair with an acoustic guitar? How do you do that? And it's not easy. But that was kind of the basis for the podcast, which then Audible Originals picked up because it had kind of turned into a memoir. And yet it's kind of an audio adventure because suddenly I'm writing scenes and playing both parts and pulling a scene out of Escanaba in the Moonlight, the play I wrote, and playing all five parts like an audio book, which Ben and I have been, we've done a bunch of those in here. So it became more than just the gig, you know, on a podcast or an audio. It, it became a lot of things. And then and coming up with stuff like Snack Time with Harry Dunn, where Harry Dunn from Dumb and Dumber interviews the actor who played him in the movie. And I got to write both parts and play it. And there are three seconds. And it's like, who's, where else in memoir world? Nowhere. Does that, right. No. And so we thought, we, we're, this is either going to, mm, big crash and burn. 
or it's going to be unlike the 700 million other podcasts up there, which how hard is that? And apparently it's so different um, that it's, you know, people are liking it and, and the reviews have been good. And so here comes season two pretty soon. And I hope season three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. It's fun. I fun. enjoy writing it. I enjoy doing it. It's like the perfect platform for all the things that I do, whether it's the playwriting, the acting, the <clears throat> songwriting, you name it. You know, I get to do it all on Alive and Well Enough. I think old time radio. Yeah, yeah, which I like. Bob and Ray and all those guys. And the sound effects that we do. It's mm -hmm. fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's and, a fun and, listen. And I also said, I got to entertain these people. Yeah. I cannot do something where, you know, 1955, I was born in Athens. I'm not going to, no, no. I got to entertain you. I got, and I'm also, I'm just playing to one person. We figured that out real soon. This isn't the ARC. This isn't even the Power Center in Ann Arbor or the Fox Theater in Detroit. You're playing to one person, the, the one person who's listening. And that's, you know, there's, there's some fun and, and art to that. It's been fun to kind of figure it out. The best piece of advice I got when I was starting to do college radio at uh, Henry Ford College was talk to one person when you're on the radio. There's one person listening in their car alone. Mm -hmm. They're in mm -hmm. the shower, wherever they're listening, but they're alone. They're not, right. it isn't a hey everybody experience when you're talking on the radio. Yeah, and it makes it more personal. Right. And you're talking to one person like you're sitting at a coffee shop telling them this, you right. know, and then suddenly it's in a way that lets them in more. Yeah. Yeah. So everything was recorded here, and Ben, you've you've been using this as a recording studio. Do you mm -hmm. record other acts here as well? Uh, yes, we we have not not once COVID happened, it kind of well hunkered down, obviously. But before that, we were there's a few bands coming in and did some live stream. Uh, Jason Denny came into the live stream in here, Rochelle. Um, yeah, but um, so I was kind of tried that. It was. It's fun though. It's a great space to be creative and hide away. There's only one window, so you don't know what time it is. <laughs> that's that's nice. It's made for music. Yeah, yeah. Well, since we we've established that, how about uh, a song? Before we talk some more. Okay. Um, sure. <sighs> Uh, acoustic alternatives, right? Okay, so this is this is the song that every guitar player writes to his guitar. Stevie Earle did one. I think Guy Clark did one. There are others, but anyway, this is mine. You were there when I was falling You were there when I fell in love You were there when I was thinking through All them things I was thinking of You were always right beside me Never out of sight You turned my never ever seen to Maybe I'm just mine Your pearly gaze fly open When I bow my head and pray my thunder turns to lightning, you rain sunshine on my day When that melody's in me, I can hear your choir sing 
when my fingers find your strings. When I'm left all by my lonesome, you know just how I feel. When I'm down, you come around my corner on two wheels. And every time I try to run, you catch me in a lie. And every time I try to run, you just won't let me hide. Your pearly gaze fly open when I bow my head and pray. My thunder turns to lightning, rain, sunshine on my day. Not melodies in me, I can hear a choir sing When my fingers find your string You're the sunrise in my morning, you're the warm wind through my night. You dance me through my darkness and you lead me to the light. You answer all my questions and you finish what I start. And when I'm at a loss for words, you find them in my heart. I hold you oh so carefully, I handle you with care. Oh, I never leave without you, I just take you everywhere. We both know I'm less without you We both know it's plain to see I ain't holding you, my friend you who's holding me Your pearly gates fly open When I bow my head and pray My thunder turns to lightning rain Sunshine on my day When that melody's in me I can hear your choir sing When that melody's in me oh, I hear your choir sing Melodies in me, oh, I can hear choirs sing When my fingers find your strings Not bad for an actor. It's you beautiful. Know. I, I'm not actually, bad for an actor. I, I'm a fan of your music, honestly. I've played you on the radio many times in the past. Uh, I, I don't know how often that is. Well, that's nice. That's nice. That's, thank you. No, I, I, I genuinely enjoy your music, and that's a great song from your back catalog, When My Fingers Find Your Strings. Jeff Daniels is uh, one of my two guests on the podcast. Ben, his son, is also uh, joining us today. As the You recorded the audio book and engineered it, and uh, you know we, we've kind of got a collaborative project here of two people who... You both grew up in Chelsea, right? I know That's you did because right. this is where you you spent most of your life here as well, or all mm -hmm. of it. Grew up here and went to school here and didn't have the grades to get into Michigan, so I went to Central and then dropped out after three years. And but you know, Eastern Michigan played certainly a, a role in that. I was sitting in the CMU Central Michigan Library, not studying, 
and I saw an ad for auditions for a four-play rep festival down in Ypsilanti at Eastern. And I'd kind of done really well at Central uh, in the acting department, and it was third year, and I'm going, well, let's go down there and see how I measure up against kids from around the state. <clears throat> you know, long story short, I got into that, and, um, and one of the directors had come out from New York, uh, Marshall W. Mason from Circle Rep, and he was kind of five, six years into Circle Rep, but they were like a hot off-Broadway company. And he knew Jim Gussif, who was the head of the department, the theater department at Eastern that time. They had gone to school together at Northwestern. So basically, pretty sure, Marshall, why don't you come out, pick up a check, direct some college kids, go back to New York, which he did. And I was one of those kids. And he saw enough to say to me, you know what you should do with your life, don't you? And so goodbye Central Michigan and Eastern after the four-play rep and moved to New York when I was 21. Was there ever anything else you wanted to do when you were a kid? I wasn't even sure I wanted to do this. I was just told I was really good at it. I knew I was good at it. I could be in a musical in the community play and hold a 700 people standing room only audience who were there to see me for some reason. I'm good at it. I can get on a stage and I, don't, I knew how to time a joke at 18 in front of 700 people. That was kind of, okay, there's something to that. And then, you know, Central I did well and so maybe I should go to New York and, you know, last as long as I can. And then when I fail, I'll come back to Michigan and work at the lumber company, which the family business. That was the plan. And I succeeded just enough every year. You know, I was not an overnight success. I mean, I was off Broadway and Terms of Endearment was seven years into New York. Hmm. That was the big break. When did you pick up a guitar? Uh, before I moved to New York in September of uh, 70, 1976, I went up to Herb David's guitar shop, looked at a bunch of Gibsons and Guilds and bought a Guild D40 for 400 bucks. Threw it in the back of the car. I knew three chords plus E minor. And I figured, I mean, I had played piano and I'd been in musicals and I liked music. Um, how hard can an acoustic guitar be? You know, is kind of how I went out. I mean, I, I can play. at least do that. I had no intention other than just keep myself creatively occupied while I waited for the phone to ring. And then it just turned into this whole other thing that acoustic guitars, guitars can do. They just pull you in. Was there ever a time you thought, I would love to be a traveling musician and never, and like maybe it eclipsed the acting part of your, your brain? I thought, I thought uh, the career was in trouble enough to consider that seriously. Uh, about 2002, three, four, the roles were drying up. The money wasn't there anymore. And and the travel, you know, you were starting to go down the, the call sheet, as they say. Number one mm -hmm. on the call sheet's the star. Two, three, four, five, now you're number 17. And now you're, it's like, we're going in the wrong direction here. So I don't want to go out like this. So maybe I'll just, we'll, you know, downsize and I'll be that traveling musician. I have a feeling I probably would have ended up at the lumber company and would have played gigs at Cleary's in Chelsea. That's mm -hmm. probably what I would have done. Mm -hmm. But I kept succeeding just enough yeah. and took a run at theater as a way to get back into it and uh, I did a play called Blackbird Off-Broadway 
which was a tough play to do, but we were the show to see. And that got me God of Carnage, which was with Jim Gandolfini, and that was Broadway, and we were a big hit. And then out of God of Carnage, I got Newsroom. Hmm. One led to the other. And once I got Newsroom and everything that happened with that, I bought 10 years. Pretty good story. Well, it's, you know, longevity was a bitch. <laughs> so, Ben, your story also includes Eastern. You went to school there, too, didn't you? Yeah. I don't know how much. Go, yeah, like two years. Went to play hockey, mostly. That's just kind of it was aimless at that time. Just was good enough to play for their club team. and But then we got suspended halfway through. The whole team got shut yeah. down. So I ended up going from there to an audio engineering school in Arizona. Was, okay. I realized I was really into the behind-the-scenes recording, and that was the right thing to do. So it's good to get away for a second, but then came right back here and started recording myself and a lot of his stuff. But that's kind of how I got started writing I was always writing like rap songs and rap lyrics and recording that, but then I started playing guitar in Arizona and I would practice writing to re practice recording and it was just a cycle that kind of turned into a, here we are. I was wondering when you went to Eastern if it had a program for audio engineering because like if it does, I'm, I'm, I'm working there. I should take yeah. it just for fun, but no, apparently not. There was something, I can't remember what it was. There's a studio though, but. Yeah, I think I know where that is. I'm just. I barely remember that, but. I was there. I remember when he, he, um, I remember in high school, I was playing guitar and blues, you know, boom, 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 boom. I said, guitar is fun. You know, if you ever want to learn, he goes, yeah, well, hockey girls. So, okay. <laughs> guitar, right, no problem. Girls. No problem. And then 1920, I forget whenever it was, but he, he decided he was, re he walked into my office and he goes, I'm ready. That, that's your guitar. Five teacher? years later, I'm ready. I said, for what? He goes, to learn how to play guitar. I said, okay, let's go to Herb Davis. <laughs> so we went down to Herb Davis. We got something that looked like a Martin, like Tacomini. a Tacomini. Yeah. yeah, which was like, okay, because this could not, this may not work. So yeah. we'll spend 200 bucks on it. And if it, okay, it lasted a week, okay. <laughs> but he's been playing ever since. And that, and I told Ben, I said, you know, Covers are great. I love to play some covers, you know, but write your own stuff. Just whether it goes anywhere or not, just write your own stuff. And um, they play their own stuff pretty much, you know, they, the albums and the this and the that. And, and he's, uh, you know, this, this place that we're in is more of a writing place, you know. People come here and play a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can write in here, you know. If I got my facts right, your first album came out four years after your first album, so not that much different. And when you both started releasing music, I think 2004 and 2008, if, yeah. if I did my research right. Well, that was the beauty of the internet. You didn't need a record label. Right. Yeah. You could just do it yourself, which is like, okay. Which for me and for Ben, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit down with his songs and go, you know, okay, you need the second verse, you need to change that. <laughs> You know, which is what a label might do or right. somebody trying to, you know, you know, if you wrote it differently, you might be able to sell it to somebody in Nashville. Like, that's not what you know, could have helped, but it's could have helped. I mean, it's, sure. Some of it's I pretty, mean, it, stumble it, into that. I know. can see my, my learning curve getting better and better as they go on. So it's, yeah, it's, it's well, good. Like any job, right? right? You right. get better it's at it. Just putting it out there is, yeah. It, well, he's what, now, he's sitting now. You're like, you've got, you know, you want to, there's a gig coming up, but you're also, your head, the writing head is going. 
you know there are five songs that ideas for mm-hmm. he was telling me the other night that's always going on yeah i can see what what i want it to be i can see what i want our show to be it might take a couple months to get it get it ready there now getting out of little baby kit little toddlers and stuff i'm starting to come out of this cloud so i can new material yeah though. right all new material that's, and yeah. that's the thing you know for both of us it's just it's there's all right what's what are you gonna what are you gonna create next yeah. what song are you gonna create next what play what whatever he's got his lyric idea chord progression what's next you never stop can't you can't jim carrey told me that i said jim i'm thinking about giving it up i've had a good run he goes you can't man <laughs> We're like sharks. <laughs> We're swimming around. We got to swim or we'll die. We got to create or we'll die. You can't quit, man. You can't. And, you, you know, I'm going, okay, he's right. Doesn't mean you have to be starring movies or TV shows. No. You create every day doing something. Even local people, amateur people who are, you know, three, card, three chords plus E minor. You can do that and you can create something that's just yours. And maybe someday you play it for somebody, you know? And if nothing else, it becomes a podcast called Alive and Well Enough, and people talk about <laughs> the stories behind the songs. Or and... that, you know. But <laughs> It's a creative outlet in its own it's way. It's the creative act that I think is alive and well in this place, and it's with both of us. It's cool. I'm glad I finally got to see it in person, because, yeah, I, I knew it was here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it existed. So, Jeff, 50 years of songwriting under your belt uh, before you bought your first, uh, I'm sorry, after buying your first guitar in 1976. By the time you released your first album, you'd already been writing songs for a long time. How did you decide which ones made it to that first record? Oh, the, the, the first record was, let's do some live performances at the Purple Rose to raise money. Yeah. No one knew I played for the first 10 years of Purple Rose. No one knew I played. I never brought the guitar in. No one knew. And then Lanford Wilson, who was a mentor of mine at Circle Rap, Pulitzer Prize, Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, we commissioned him. Out he came to write a play. And he knew I had written the song. He knew I wrote. He'd known since 76, 77. And one of them was a song that he gave me, a poem called Road Signs. A long, nine-minute, ten-minute epic poem about a bus trip he took from Missouri to Chicago as a young man and I turned that into an acoustic guitar number and we're sitting in the bar we're sitting in Cleary's in Chelsea after rehearsal of this play that we commissioned him to do and the guy in the corner of Cleary's took a break and he said go play roadsides I said nobody nobody knows I play no no I'm not gonna do it no get up there no I'm not gonna get up there up I go. I play road signs and people can't believe it. You know, um, an actor with a guitar usually is close to William Shatner. I mean, I completely yes. get it. And so that became the impetus to let's put you on stage in a chair between Christmas and New Year's and raise some badly needed money. So that became uh, a terror filled education. That first album was probably a culmination of the first three years of Christmas shows to get over the nerves and the sweat stains and the flops. I mean, it was the nakedness. You don't have a character to hide behind. It's just you and that song you wrote about your mother, you know, and it's suddenly tough to get through. I wasn't prepared for that. 
but you learn how to do it. And then there's a character who walks out in a fedora, and it's a character. It's Jeff when he's in a good mood, and here's the show. That becomes the character. Yeah. That's the, same, that's the secret to talk shows, too. I don't I know what, what, what's Letterman going to ask me, but it's you in a good mood. Go. And then suddenly you can, you can do it. But, um, yeah, so that was, that was kind of, you know, the impetus to kind of get playing out. And then I just enjoyed it, you know. I just really enjoyed it. And um, I bring Ben up on stage some Christmases and his band up on stage other times, you know. So we've been doing it almost 20 years now, you know. Missed a couple, but, yeah, I enjoy it. I saw it a few times. Uh, sometimes I can afford it. Sometimes I can't. Working in radio is not <laughs> raising <laughs> money. Yes. We're raising money. I know. Yeah. But I said, look at current ticket prices for for major shows. It's like, well, that's a steal now. <laughs> we're cheaper than that. Yeah, we're cheaper, cheaper than, than going that. to see yeah. most major shows at this mm-hmm. point. So, when it comes around again this Christmas, I'm gonna have to pay attention. <laughs> Make sure you get tickets this time. Uh, before this would have been an observation I would have made if I'd interviewed you 20 years ago. Uh, before even listening to the audiobook, when hearing, actually it wouldn't have been 20 years ago, but whatever, hearing the first album, when I heard Recreational Vehicle, I heard Alice's Restaurant. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's the parallel drawn in the book, uh, the audiobook. I'm calling it a book because I don't know what else to call it. Podcast, book? Audi, they're, they're, they want me to call it an audio memoir so as not to lose the, the memoir people, because it is. Yeah. But it's certainly an audio adventure, that's for sure. Do you still have the RV? No, got rid of, we went through about three or four of them. Um, nope, done. And, but, uh, yeah, Alice's Restaurant was, was, I want to write my Alice's Restaurant. I just need a story. I had the chord progression for two years, waiting for something that I could, you know, a talking blues on top of that. Yeah. And then what happened to us in Erie, Pennsylvania with a recreational vehicle happened to us and... Is Ben the one who said, Mom's not here, or was it the other son? That was, that was Luke. That yeah. was my other son. <laughs> ben was just, I think... I remember I was like up top, up high, on like a bunk bed up high, looking down to see your phone in the seat or whatever. You yeah. remember that? We had video games, three kids, and a rented RV. We got gas at a truck stop. I got recognized as Jeff Bridges. I get back in the 28-foot Jayco. I pull out of the truck stop, and Luke, my son, says, Dad, where's Mom? We left her at the truck stop. So I assume she helped you draw the, the rest of the picture out because you weren't with her when she was with the, the Jesus freak who was looking after her. No, she that became her side of the story, yeah. which I took notes on. And then three months later, was on Letterman pushing a movie, and I he said, how was your summer? And I said, well, <laughs> here it goes. <laughs> That's when it kind of was born. That's a favorite in our household. We love that one. That's a good one. <laughs> Songwriting as storytelling really is, is what it, turns out to be when I listen to your music. Um, you, you mean you obviously write things that aren't songs, but when it becomes a song, it's, it's you writing a short, a short play, I guess, in a way, right? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm certainly aware of the three-act structure that stories demand. That goes back to the Greeks. And you got to get somewhere and then what happens good or bad that, that, that's in a lot of my stuff I, I've, I, I I have a few where you can just capture a moment and then get a good hook for that moment and then just pound it and stay in that moment not go anywhere and just ruminate on that moment and then repeat the hook 75 times and you've got a hit I understand that but you know Utah Phillips told stories you know 
Stevie Goodman was funny. Christine Lavin is funny. True. You know, um, that, those were the guys, that, and, and with Christine, Cheryl Wheeler as well. Those were the people that, that when they would come through the ark in Ann Arbor, I'd see them and go, what, what are they doing? Because I think I can figure out how to do that. But I'm being an actor now, so I won't worry about that. But that's of interest to me. And then when the career slowed down, I started to, I've done like 500 gigs, which, you know, for an actor is, you know, working movies. But I, I was flying all over, playing the arcs all over the country, clubs, opera houses. We'd tour with Ben's band, you know, all the Midwest tour. We went the Northeast spin, you know, at least twice. Infinity Hall, Birchmere, um, City Winery, New York. Uh, yeah, we hit them. It was fun. I enjoyed it. You know, it's not great money, but you're a troubadour. And that, if that's where I landed, at least I was being creative and, and felt like I was still doing what I could do versus just giving up. So that was kind of the plan. If people check out the Audible book Alive and Well Enough, they will hear the stories and they will hear songs included in the chapters. Some of them I know are from the actual recordings that have been released, but it also sounds like some of them are newly recorded. Is that true? Like you recorded a few of the songs over? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we recorded a couple sitting right here just to throw on the podcast or the audio memoir. And, um, but a lot of them were pulled from the previous 2006, yeah. 1970 something. Yeah. Like, yeah, I still got that reel to reel tape player in there somewhere. And that's what I would put stuff on. Me and a friend, John Hogan, another circle rep actor who was doing a similar thing with his acoustic guitar and that reel to reel where you. You get three tracks, and you bounce the three tracks down to one track, and now you can go back and do two more tracks, but then you got to bounce all those tracks down to the one. And, you know, it's okay until you've got 16 tracks of whatever on there, and it's just... Tape is stretched. <laughs> analog is just, you know, there's the... Yeah. There's the thing. But there's some archival demos that I made off the reel-to-reels that... Uh, um, yeah, they're, they're... I mean, you know... It's a poor man's Dylan, sure. but still, it's 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 a peek inside. They're there. The it's it's the young twenty-six-year-old actor mm -hmm. singing into a reel-to-reel. -reel. Yeah, and um, yeah, I kind of like pulling those out, and I, I I've got a bunch of them, a bunch of them. Might be a good time for another song. What song would you like to do? I'll do one just to change the capo after for. Right together song okay so it's a ben song yeah ben's playing the arc on october 6th with his band the ben daniels band if you're listening to this before then tickets are available at thearc.org introduce the song ben oh it doesn't really have a name yet because i just wrote it but we'll call it waiting for you coastline we had to say goodbye even though it felt like we just arrived we were just getting started then and now it's way back when 
What a time to be alive And one day it'll all be gone If I gone before you, darling There's only one thing left to do So live it right until your days are through And I will be waiting for you I will be waiting for you I will be waiting for you like I always do Running on caffeine and weed Dirty table but the plates are clean Another night watching the stars come out your mind was full that I could tell We said nothing but we said it well Sometimes quiet sounds like a distant yell And one day it'll all be gone If I'm gone before you darling There's only one thing left to do Live it right until your days are through and I will be waiting for you I will be waiting for you I will be waiting for you Like I always do I will be waiting for you I will be waiting for you I will be waiting for you like I Ben Daniels, one of the two guests on the Acoustic Alternatives program today, not at Grove Studios today, not in Ypsilanti at all. We're in Chelsea, Michigan, uh, where Ben and Jeff both recorded the Audible book, Alive and Well Enough. And uh, Ben's got a show coming up with his band again, October 6th at the Ark. How did you find your bandmates? Were they schoolmates of yours here in Chelsea? Yeah, we all we all went to Chelsea High School. Uh, the bass player was a closer friend of mine at the time, so we, we just kind of he hadn't even played bass before. And so I had all these songs and he was like, he, I knew he was really interested in that. So we, we just got a bass and started doing that. But we got our guitar player, George, who was a jazz major at Western. So we knew we added him just be a trio for now. And it was, a, did that for a couple of years. And then our drummer also a Chelsea kid was a great mandolin player, but we had him play drums for some reason. <laughs> But he's a uh, he loves drums. No, he, he does. He just likes to beat the crap out of things, so it's yeah. it works. But so yeah, we, but then we can get him on mandolin here and there. And but yeah, we're all from Chelsea. All have been together since since then. So it's pretty great. All good, great friends. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun band, and I'm nothing against them. But hearing that song that way, leave it alone. Don't don't add anything to that. I think I, I think it, it lives really well the way you just performed it. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, just if you added more stuff, I would probably lose what you're you're presenting to me. And I mean, I remember that's the, that's that's the yeah, that's the trick we're trying to figure out how to. Sometimes you have to be solo. Right, right, right. <laughs> it, it does have your name on the band. I mean, it's, they'd understand. 
They're good guys. That's one maybe for mandolin. Yeah, I will take your mandolin. Take, yeah, I can hear mandolin on that. Can have multiple versions of it. Sure. <laughs> your first visit to me when I was working at that radio station in Ann Arbor, you performed a few songs, and I I played Baby Doll quite a bit oh, from yeah, that. Yeah. That was like the thing. I, every time you had a show coming up. I was like, oh, it's got a show coming up. I'll play this one. <laughs> I yeah, played that, well, play that performance. It's song stuck with me for yeah, years. We'll, we'll play that. We, have, we haven't played that in a while. It's a good good one to bring. That's, yeah. It is a good one. Good fun. Well, for a while, your wife was in your band. Mm-hmm. When you chose her as a bandmate, did you know you were also going to be choosing her as a, a wife, perhaps? Oh, I, I, thought, <laughs> I thought so. You know, I think we were, what were we? we were together before the band. Or like got married before the band even, but yeah, she five year old daughter, so she's and another another kid who's yeah she's she's been super busy. I mean we're both been busy with kids, but once that happened, it was hard for her to go to play bar gigs till midnight. Oh yeah, so it was she'll I think she'll get back out there in the future, but she's got a hell of a voice too, so just said to shake the nerves off a little bit. I get it. She sings beautifully on one of Dad's records. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that's back a, when you were into me, that's a great. That was I mean, that's Amanda's song. She we toured with that, and we the whole band would be playing right near the intermission. I'd they'd leave, and it'd just be me and her, and I would just look down. I'd never looked up, and it was just all her. You know, it's a beautiful. Song. I remember her doing it at the, at the Ark when we did like nine dates and then came down and did the arc i mean the place pin drop you know who did you take vocal inspiration from when you were finding your own voice ben Ooh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm doing a video and an audio recording yeah, yeah. i should probably address who i'm talking to in this question oh uh, i guess i i like like jack johnson style just like that makes with sense. the writing especially kind of the hip-hop the the be all that stuff. Just mm-hmm. I like the cadence of, but his and his kind of laid back singing. He's not. He can sing a nice, sing nice notes, but he's not like I can't do vibrato. So I tried to do a voice lesson, and the lady's like, just don't change anything. So, all right. But then there's a guy Brent Cobb who I listen to a lot right now, who's a producer. He's yeah. He sings kind of this similar. It's, he's more southern, but he sings kind of doesn't like sing super hard and. So I, I'm kind of trying to dial it back like that instead of trying to sing as loud as I can, just kind of sing nice. We'll see, though. It always ends up losing my voice at the bar gigs anyway. So <laughs> It pulls them in yeah. when you do that. you know. I enjoy audiobooks read by the authors, and when I'm listening, I'm thinking of you as a recording engineer, and maybe you're considering this for a future thing, but... I can't remember that much detail of my life and I'm not that old. Like you've, Jeff, you've given so much detail about your life and I'm saying t- to Ben now, you're young enough to maybe start writing notes if right. you're think, ever thinking about doing an audiobook. because I, mean, I couldn't tell stories about myself the way you tell your stories. Yeah, you forget a lot, but I, I'm a little lucky in that, that I can like look at a movie or a play I did and I can remember maybe four things that are worth writing about, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, that helps little signposts of you were here doing this with these people and here doing what you learn doing it with that pe- you know those people so that helps but I, I, part of me for, on my end it's just trying to get it all down before I can't remember anything anymore yeah start now yeah and just, have you ever thought about doing one yeah and just thinking like that I, when I hear a song from 2008 I can I can see exactly where I was so that's 
Let's use that for now. Yeah. It's kind of what the songs became. I mean, I have songs I wrote when I was sitting in that one-room apartment that are just god-awful, immature, young, overly dramatic, loneliness, whatever. And I, they'll never see the light of day. But it's like a musical diary. And that's what it ends up kind of being. Not that anybody will ever see them or hear them, but that's, that's kind of, instead of journaling, I kind of did that. I didn't know I was doing it, but I did it. You've always been a supporter of Things Michigan. I mean, I know you're a big Tigers fan. And Purple Rose Theater, you created in your hometown in 1991. What was the purpose at that time in your head? What was the reason for starting it? I'm glad you did, by the way. I was creatively bored. I had moved home to raise the kids here. Uh, Kathleen and I were both from Chelsea, and I, I, I just didn't want to be in Hollywood, and New York was really expensive. And I, just, I also didn't think the career would last. They don't. Yeah. They just don't. And so at least I'll be home when it all falls apart. And, and I succeeded enough along the way to keep it going. And, um, but I was playing golf and creatively I missed what happens on a movie set. You get all these imaginative people creating this, that, actors, writers, designers, everything's, And then the same thing in the theater too. So I said, maybe I can create a circle repertory company like I was in in New York City off-Broadway. Maybe I can create that here. And I also wanted to write plays. I had been around Lanford Wilson and a few other playwrights, and I wanted, and I knew I could be funny. I wanted to take a shot at that. I wanted to learn how to do that. So let me build a theater, and the second play we do is mine. Uh, but now i got to find actors and writers and designers, and that, that was... I think it was 15 years before we really had the writers. They were the last to kind of find. You know, you don't hire one playwright. You don't want, you, you produce one play, but I'm looking for a playwright. I want to produce a playwright because I want your next five. <laughs> and, but you got to be serious about this, you know. And so we, that took a while to find. But, you know, and now we're, I'm back in it um, as the artistic director, and it's kind of like the third act of my life. The acting career has been great. I'm still doing it, but I'm not chasing it like I used to because I kind of want to be here. I want to write for here. I want to build this company back up. I want to bring in an audience to theater, which if you read the New York Times, the American regional theaters are dying, and they are. And how do we, how do we get an audience now? And so we're, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful challenge, and I'm kind of in there and uh, enjoying it far more than I thought I would. Um, the play we're doing this fall is Diva Royale, which we did 2018 maybe. And I wrote it, and I've kind of re well, I've rewritten it, and I'm directing it. That we're putting it, we put it up in two weeks. We've been in rehearsal for two weeks. So I'm enjoying that. Cool. And so the Purple Rose is also alive and well, you know, and... Uh, it's kind of exciting to kind of get in there and look at the next 10 years, you know, so. Lucky enough to live close to be able to go to plays there or performances of some sort, 40 minutes away from my yeah. home, not, not too bad. So lucky enough to be close enough to see it and uh, see it on the I-94 sign as an attraction that you can get up at the next exit and see, which is pretty cool. Yeah. 
I know you're a big Tigers fan. We, we briefly discussed that. You probably uh, do. Do you enjoy more the radio or the TV side as a as a fan? Uh, it depends. Uh, you know, MLB TV helps when you're sitting in New York. I can watch yeah. and listen to the Detroit broadcast. So that's changed. But we were just in New York doing um, a promo for um, at CBS Sun, or CBS Mornings, and the night before we, you know. Made a phone call, and next thing you know, we're Yankee Stadium, sitting mm-hmm. in the dugout. It was great. In September. We go to games in September. We do. Yeah. Good. It so. was great. Got to meet the players, talk to AJ a little bit, the broadcasters later. Dan Dickerson, know. right? Who? Dan Dickerson. Dan Dickerson. Right. Spent a lot talk. of time with Dan. You know, it's, it's, it, these guys are lifers. Who do you think should replace Jim Price? Have you been listening to his subs since he's passed um, away? Hard to say. I'm, I'm not listening to enough of them. Okay. I, I really like Simo and I, I really like Cameron Mabin. They're smart. They've got energy. They, they, um, they know baseball. And I, I, I like broadcasts where they're talking to baseball fans who want to know more about baseball. Yeah. Um, and they do that really well. So do some of the other guys, too. But, but Andy Dirks has really impressed me, actually. Andy, yeah. I've let a couple, not many innings of Andy. But, you know, that just just, just don't give me a pretty voice. Right. Give me somebody who's going to teach me something I don't know about baseball every night. He's been on the field, too. is kind of like that. Yeah. Somebody's seen it. Seems seen the ball organi- flying at him. The organization seems to be actively seeking right. those kinds of co-hosts. for. Mm-hmm. Seem to be, yeah. Yeah, and I so. like that about that. You got yourself into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Are you familiar with the baseball songs of Chuck Brodsky, who has, I think, 18 songs in there? Uh, 18 songs in there? I think he does. <laughs> Damn it. I thought I was, like, <laughs> have you setting seen, a precedent. Have you seen Chuck before? I do know of his stuff and knew that knew he had done some baseball stuff. Yeah, and Stevie Goodman's The Last Dying Cub Fan Request. I knew That was the one that triggered... Lifelong Tiger fan blues, hearing Stevie Goodman's, but I figured as much. Yeah, I was very proud that Cooperstown called about the Alk Lane song. Well, you can see Chuck and challenge him. He's got two dates in Michigan in October nearby. I think one of them actually is in Jackson, the other is in Ann Arbor. So you're right in the middle. I'd, I'd recommend him. He's a previous podcast guest, a real good guy as well. Nice. Fun guy. Uh, lifelong Tiger fan blues. Uh, yes, I, I recognize that as perhaps a coincidence that uh, Steve Goodman was one of your inspirations, and he's got a dying fan, a dying Cub fan's last request. I don't know. If... Yeah, that was the one. I, there's there there are maybe ten versions of Tiger fan blues. I remember one third verse. I rhymed the entire roster. Ooh, just to see if I could, and and then I yeah. Chuck wrote one about the Armando Galarraga situation that is really impressive too, because that's I oh, mean, yeah. the no hitter that wasn't. Yeah. Yes, yeah. but he focuses on the on the bad call, not necessarily. Yeah, it's it's a really well written <laughs> song, something to look into. Nice. Speaking of songs, maybe this is the time we do the the collaborative song. Tell All me right. about what you're about to play. When we tour um, with when I tour with Ben's band, I'll come out and open with funny, and then I'll do something even funnier. And then the third song is a song that I wrote about <clears throat> all the things that my father said or could have said or probably did say at some point. And so I start into that. And as we get into it, you know, then Ben would walk out. And they knew it was me and the, the Ben Daniels, who knew it was father's son. 
but then we surprise them with, with this. It always worked. My father said, son, you best treat everyone just the same. You got your winners and losers and the rest of us are just staying in the game. He said, life is a gift. If you're lucky, you'll get to live it every day. Helps to believe in something when you're falling to your knees to pray. He said, forever is forever. Tomorrow's here, yesterday's gone. If you give it a try, the truth will decide right from wrong. He said, for every man who stumbles, there's another man who's fallen to the floor. Boy, you best understand your helping hand is the only thing that man is hoping He said, always be looking for the good on the bad side of town. Even the high and mighty end up six feet deep in the ground. And a poor man ain't nothing but a rich man who's getting kicked around. Boy, you best always be looking for the good on the bad side of town. He said far too few just sit back. It's far too many fade away. And I know nothing's guaranteed. That's far too high price for some to pay. He said bad luck just happens. Sometimes dreams don't come true. By being kind to strangers, you run the risk of them being kind to you. He said, always be looking for the good on the bad side of town. Even the high and mighty end up six feet deep in the ground. And a poor man ain't nothing but a rich man who's getting kicked around. Boy, best always be looking for the good on the bad side of town.
understand why money makes a man, or so they say. Hell, I never needed sunshine, and no one I had it made in the shade. He said, Jesus had compassion, so don't let yours go out of fashion. That's what he said to me. Son, the poorest man you ever saw might be the richest man that you will ever see. He said, always be looking for the good on the bad side of town. Even the high and mighty end up six feet deep in the ground. And a poor man ain't nothing but a rich man who's getting kicked around. Boy, you best always be looking for the good on the bad side of town. guest today on Acoustic Alternatives, Jeff and Ben Daniels doing a song, I assume, called Bad Side of Town? Uh, for, yeah, good, on the, good on the Bad Side of Town. Good yeah. Bad Side of Town. Yeah. One that, uh, is that one recorded? We just did. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 on, it's on a live, see, uh, like a live in concert. Yeah. I have that Acoustic one. Acoustic digital. Or something. You, you were releasing things physically for a while, and then they kind of went to going digital only, and then that's, I mean... I would we consume went, it that we way, but I'm more likely only. to consume a CD because yeah. I still have a CD player in my car, believe it or not. And that's still my preferred way of hearing music is isolated in my car. with Not a vinyl? No. I like vinyl. I grew up with vinyl. But yeah. if I had my entire record collection on record again, it would make my house cave in because I have a lot. Mm. I have about yeah. 18,000 CDs. I've been in the music industry since 1985, so I've been consuming it. In There's something about vinyl. I like it. I got it's, a little it's, record it's player up there. I put, you know, the old Arlo Guthrie record on that I bought in 74 and something about it. It's a warm feeling. It's, yeah. I like it. Well, nice collaboration. I enjoyed that. Thanks for doing that. And it, it made me think about all the other collaborations you've done. I mean, when you first were putting out records, you were collaborating with some of uh, Michigan's finest musicians. I know my friend Brad Phillips has yep. uh, been on your record. Uh, Dominic, formerly Sucha, now Davis. Uh, I got him before he went big. I yeah. know, I know, before he was Jack's bass player. How did you discover musicians to pick, like, how did you choose? Like, who? Well, I kind of forced my way into this scene. You know, I was not, it was the same thing with the Purple Rose. We kind of, there were theaters here before us, and then I kind of opened one, and, you know, there was some resentment. Oh, you're, oh, really? And the same thing with an actor with a guitar. I get it. I completely get it. You're but a really I didn't guitar care. player, though. Do you know that? Huh? You're a really good guitar player. I'm a really good finger picker. I can do that. That I, the, There's music theater stuff, music theory stuff that just like Latin or algebra to me, and forget it. That's where a Brad Phillips sits next to me, and it's uh, it's it's a thrill because I can play and then let him go. <laughs> Same with Ben's band. I mean, you just start. I remember road signs we were doing. I think you played that four-string tenor. 
mm-hmm. guitar thing on it and mandolin. Here comes Wes's fiddle. I mean, I love that stuff. And good musicians around you make your song better. So that's always been of interest to me is, is playing with people who are better than I am and or play differently than I am. You know, I do. Well, beyond the local music scene, you collaborated with fellow actor Jonathan Hogan on a re- release. Yeah. That was something you talked about a little bit in, in the audiobook. But uh, the Brian Vanderark collaboration kind of surprised me. And I remember going to the show at the Frederick Meyer Gardens to see both of you. And was excited to see both of you, a friend of Brian's as well from, from way back. But that was like a, hmm, how did that come about? That's, yeah, that's how did, I think Brian... It was the same management? Yeah, at the time we were both with Jim Fleming, I think. I know Jim as well. Um... I don't. I have no idea. I don't remember. He's he was the one who reached out and said, "Well, we met each other at probably a, a Joey Coaster softball charity game. I remember seeing him there. I might have met him through Fleming. He co-wrote a song, maybe first. Well, we uh, would send stuff back and forth. Mm-hmm. He goes, "Hey, I've listened to your stuff. Could I send you a song I'm kind of working on? And because I'm stuck on the last verse. Happy, sure. And he'd send it, and I'd send alternatives. And here's what should happen. And Usually it was, it went darker. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, the third verse. The, uh, the girl well, dying in the. the there's river. over a song <laughs> called Overboard. And I yes. don't know what to do with the woman yeah. who's, who's threatening my relationship in the song. I said, kill her. Yeah. <laughs> kill her. <laughs> throw her overboard. It's overboard, right? Yeah. Go up to Lake Superior and throw her overboard. And mm. that's the last verse. Yeah. You know, I just kind of given him permission to do that kind of thing instead of maybe worrying about who might record it, whether it'll work or because I that doesn't even enter my mind on my stuff. I'm writing my stuff for me. And so we would do that a little bit. And and then he said, maybe we should write something together. I said, yeah, okay. So I pulled some stuff up and wrote a couple new ones and he wrote, wrote uh, another American down. I remember we wrote right after the Minnesota killings of uh, that African-American guy in the back seat of a car. And there was, and then there was one in Texas and then there was one. And so we just, we wrote it in a day, you know? And then, so that was kind of that, let's just write and put something up and share it and, you know, it was fun. It was it was it was great. I was I've been shooting a show in Pittsburgh over the last from November to April and he came down. Brian came down for the weekend. Came to the set and you know, he'd been on a set before, but he came to the set and um and then we went back to the rental house and played, wrote. And it was fun. You know, someone a a writer, another writer. It's like with Ben, you know, we're in the middle of what do you got? Are you stuck? You know, not that I jump in there, but but we're always kind of you know hearing that it's a new one. I mean, this is brand new. This is like this wasn't there a week ago. Mm-hmm. And that's what's it's like a bloom, a flower blooming mm-hmm. when you create art or something like that. You know, song, painting, whatever. And to do that with Brian was was. Let's see what we come up with. With no other intention other than just coming up with something and recording it, and that's it. We hope our make our money back so we don't lose money, but that was kind of the whole point of it, and we did it, most of it, right in here. 
Did you explore his writing before that, like his material that he'd recorded? Yeah, yeah, I knew. His I, first I knew. three solo albums, I think, are incredible pieces of yeah, writing. Yeah, yeah, and the voice he's oh, got yeah. is is from God. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was happy to sit down with him and throw stuff at him, and and um, you need a bridge here or, or whatever. You know, that, that's fun. It's fun. You're not like writing alone. You know. Well, when you're not listening to records in the loft up here, how are you discovering? Do you discover discover new music anywhere? Radio, satellite radio, your son. <laughs> I mean, do you like new music? He probably, you probably discover and listen to them. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, you know, I'm 68. I kind of know who I like and, you know, I want a, d a deeper dive into Guy Clark versus new. The next Guy Clark. Yeah. No, I will chase people like Joe Bonamassa. Um, I put some, there's somebody else has got an album coming out. Writers, writers with guitars, yeah. Daryl Scott. I kind of just cycled through the same ones like Brent Cobb and Tyler Childers and stuff. Tyler, listen, yeah, listen, you listen like Tyler. to that a lot right now. Billy Strings even. Billy Strings, cool. love Billy. Brent, Will, Will Kimbrough is another one I like. Used to front Will and the Bushmen, I remember that from when I worked yeah. at a record store, but nobody remembers those records except me. Brent produced a really good album for Myron Elkins. Have you heard that one? All right. Local oh. Michigan guy. Nice. Check it out. Look into that one. Um, you once visited the radio station that I worked at and were a guest DJ. I don't know if you remember doing that. Yeah, it's a long time ago. I don't remember last <laughs> week. <laughs> one of the things I had to do was find a clean version of one of the songs you wanted or clean it up. Was just a, for me, that was a memory. If I had to, I had to find a clean version. It was a Todd Snyder's... Um, oh. the song about Seattle Todd, Todd's got a few of those you gotta <laughs> yeah. clean up yeah yeah, yeah. Todd Snyder's another one yeah guy's funny he's yeah. out there but he's funny Steve Polt's pretty funny Jason Isbell's another one Great nobody writes like Jason Isbell no nobody writes like Prime nobody writes like Lyle Lovett those are guys that jump out to me that's good stuff the newest project is called Alive and Well Enough. It is uh, recorded in this studio by Ben. It's uh, Jeff's stories and songs. Uh, I learned a few fun things in the first season. We'll call it a season, right? Mm -hmm. uh, here are a few things that I picked up on. My perception, maybe whether it's right or not, but that a key to your success was confidence. You had confidence enough sometimes when you went to places and then you just, you won them over with your confidence. Correct or not correct? Did you feel less than confident in many of the situations when you were starting out? Uh, certainly as an actor, I was against the wall. Please don't make me do the acting exercise in front of the 30 people that are better than I am. I was certainly that kid. But you learn real quick in New York that you got to jump off the cliff and start flapping your arms and hope you fly. Whatever that audition is or whatever that, whatever you're, you're doing, you gotta be all in. And it helps if you've prepared. It helps if you, whether it's something you, a role, or you know, you're gonna do a show and the New York Times is coming tonight and they can make or break you. Uh, certainly, whether you have a job or not. And that's how it was back in the 70s and the 80s with the New York Times. One guy could kill a show. Hmm. And do you fold? Or do you rise up and be better than you've ever been? And that's that. That's the, and a lot of it has to do, and it still does, with preparation of doing seven eighths of the work before the day you do it. And I've I had to do that on newsroom. That's where I really 
I mean, I've done it, but I really had to do it on Newsroom because of all that dialogue. It's amazing work. And so you have to prepare. The weekend is spent memorizing 30 to 40 pages of mountains of dialogue. You can't change a word. And you have to say at 100 miles an hour because that's the Sorkin speed. And the only way to do that is to know it cold by Sunday night before that week of shooting so that you can do it off book at 100 miles an hour, Sorkin speed. Not just Monday and Tuesday, but also get Wednesday and Thursday going and also Friday because Friday's the one where you got the big speeches, you know, all that stuff. It's, 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 you know, there's a difference between, and I, I learned this watching Meryl Streep. There's a difference between good and great. Good is you work really hard, but it's also a very close cousin to good enough. And great, the people who are great outwork the people who are satisfied with good. And she would come on a set and it looks like she doesn't know what she's doing at all. But there's no sides, there's no script, there's no nothing. And then they say action and it's all there. (laughs) And she's ready to go because she's worked on it. You know, I, uh, newsroom people, Jane Fonda got on newsroom and she, when she was going to do it, she, she emailed me. She said, tell me what to do. I said, at six in the morning, you have to know it and know what you're going to do with it. And if you do, you might be great. And she was, Jane showed up, yeah. Jane showed up. Did. There's a version of that story in the audio book, alive and well now. Trying to get people to listen. <laughs> One of the fun facts that I would never have expected to be in there is that you saw Sid Vicious's corpse. <laughs> what? <laughs> that that this was like I would never have guessed that about you. That was the view from my apartment on Twenty Third and Seventh, and he was coming out of the on a gurney sheet over him um, of the Hotel Chelsea, which is two buildings down. In the pictures, surprising story. It's, yeah, it's wild. Episode eight, we hear a very young Jeff singing in a sweet voice that is, I mean, it's not that your voice isn't sweet now, but mm-hmm. it, was, it was younger and sweeter. And it just was like, wow, that's, that's almost like a different person. Of course, that's what surprised Ben, I think. He was I like, thought maybe it was the tape machine being sped up or something. <laughs> it was this <laughs> child. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a shock after, I mean, I have all of your albums, so I've heard you yeah. sing since your first album. And there's always going to be some progression of voice where it gets a little bit more yeah. It's one of those archivals way yeah. off the reel-to-reel machine. Something people can look into when they join the, uh, the audible train there. You learn to ride a horse out of necessity rather than desire. Another interesting story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one yes. that I was entertained by quite a bit. And I was also entertained that you were capable of interviewing yourself and singing Mockingbird with yourself as a duet, which I don't know how one does that. <laughs> Well, it's, it, it becomes, it was like mixing an album, oh, you know, it's like, you know, you record the mandolin, you record the guitar, you, you know, and then, so I would write it and then I would kind of do one or two lines at a time, leave a space and then I would reply and then tighten it up and then bring this over. And, but now you can also interrupt yourself because you're on two different tracks. Yeah, just drag it in. So now you're, which... <laughs> You know, for the audiobook people who might be listening to the thing, is they're not used to that. No. It's one person reading the entire book, and there is no overlapping. And But I'm, I, we, I enjoyed that. That was fun. 
It's a highly entertaining piece of work. And this is just season one with hopefully more to come. Season two on the horizon soon. Any, mm-hmm. do, we, do we know a release date? Do we have a lockdown? No, not yet. We're negotiating. Still, they're, I think they're about to, we're handing over season two like in the next week or two. Okay. So. They, they, they bought seasons one and two and they, yeah, they called and said send us season two now. And so, which we were thinking, I don't know, maybe it'll be now, maybe it'll be January. We didn't know. We're new to this, but all of a sudden it's a send a season two. Okay. So I'm going to write three and four in November and December in case they, in case they want that. Yeah. Congratulations on this new project. It is is a a lot of fun to be uh, listening to it and uh, getting a chance to talk to you about alive and well enough. Would you like to close with another song that may or may not be included in season one or two? A song of your choice. I don't care what it is. Sorry. I was driving on a Route 2 all the way across the top of the country, coming from Vancouver back to Michigan, and driving through Montana. And I was driving like 14 hours a day in an RV all by myself. And your mind starts to wander and you start to talk to yourself. And you get in arguments with yourself. period of time where I wasn't even talking to myself and you go buy things and as soon as you go buy them you forget them and then there are other things that you go buy them and you remember them forever somewhere in eastern Montana Out where the crosswind blows Out where the Lord understands you Out where nobody knows Out by the side of the highway Out by turning the road I saw some flowers on a small white cross I saw where God called you home Mile 416 Mile four sixteen Mile four sixteen And I can see the sirens screaming down the road. I can see the tow trucks flashing lights And I can see your sweet soul letting go Into that mom.
And I can feel the barbed wire hug that broken post And I can hear the wheat field cry in pain And I can see the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost Riding that great northern train Mile four, sixteen. Mile four, sixteen. Mile four, sixteen. Now, do not know. Your name, and I will never know you well. But if it's all the same, yours is a tale I will tell. Mile four, sixteen. Mile four sixteen. Mile four sixteen. Mile four sixteen, Jeff Daniels on acoustic alternatives. Jeff and Ben allowing me into the studio. Studio. Uh, 2188. 2188. What's the studio name significance? Oh, when we started it 10 years ago, uh, my brother and I, he was doing video and I was doing the audio. And when we played hockey together, I was 21. He was 88. So teamwork. Makes sense. But, yep. Now he's off running the Purple Rose Theater and yeah, I'm at the Purple Rose. 21 now. Doesn't have time for us anymore. <laughs> yeah. But that's all right. Now it's a golf studio. There we go. <laughs> I would have almost expected because now that you're a grandfather, you yeah. played grandfather's hat, which was a favorite of mine as well. But he made you a grandfather. It's all good. Yeah, I got grandfather's hat. There's also when Della, his his uh, five year old now was uh, six months or something. Yeah, I I was the last one uh, to babysit for her because you know I think just no one else could, and so finally I had to. <laughs> So I babysat her on, on, on the porch, and I ended up writing a song, uh, Grandpappy's Babysitting Blues, which was fun. So there's two of them now. This was fun. Thank you so much for Thank inviting you. me here and, and yeah. for telling me your stories and sharing music with me. It was quite a pleasure. Uh, if you enjoyed this as a listener and you want to hear more things, this is episode number 66 of something I started in the pandemic. Uh, 12 of those episodes had a sponsor. The other 50-some did not. And uh, recently somebody said, try Patreon to get support. So I'm on go. Patreon. If you go to johnbomarito.com and hit the Acoustic Alternatives tab, there's a spot there that maybe you can choose to support. You can check out podcasts I did with people we mentioned, Brad Phillips, Chuck Brodsky, Brian Vanderwerk, have all been previous guests on the show. Uh, and uh, they're all there, either in video or audio form, 
for eternity so people can enjoy them forever. This episode 66 will likely uh, get me to 5,000 listens, not to count the video views as a separate thing, but this will probably get me there. So nice. I'm feeling like there's some accomplishment going there on. There you go. I've been having fun doing it, and I really appreciate your time today. We're happy to help. Thanks, Thank John. Thank you very much. <laughs> not bad. Thanks. That was not good. bad. Did you have great. a little? Sounded great, guys. Oh, 